Good evening. And good evening. Thank you, Benner. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Jenny and Hannah and Adrian, Yarrow. Who else was there? Richard and Stephen. Thank you very much. Uh, last week, we, we started this new series called Sluggards, Sloths and uh, Leaky Faucets. If you want to know why I called it that, you'll kind of need to listen in on the podcast from last week. But it is a, a new series based in the book of Proverbs, a book that is crammed full of everyday wisdom for everyday people. It's a Bible book that has been described as an important God-given resource for practical instruction on how to live a better life. It's a book that right up front tells us its purpose. If you want to open your Bibles at at Proverbs chapter 1, I'm not going to read a big chunk of text this evening. I'm going to kind of take us all over the place. But if you look at the very second verse of the opening chapter, it tells us its purpose. And here's what it says. Their purpose, the purpose of these Proverbs, is to teach people wisdom. And so this compilation of kind of pithy and punchy, almost like like sound bites of our time, that they are given to us to enable us to live well. To enable us to live well in the, the kind of numerous and complex situations that every single one of us finds ourselves in day in and day out. And last week, as we, as we began to unpack this a little further, we quickly identified the starting point. That, that if we're going to acquire this wisdom, and if we're going to live out this wisdom's inspired advice, then we must begin by checking where we stand. Or by considering how we stand. Because one of the early Proverbs states this explicitly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, and Stephen's already quoted this earlier, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the starting point. It underpins. It provides the kind of launch pad. And in an attempt to define, well, well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it look like to fear the Lord? We said that the proper kind of fear is that which causes us to stand in awe, to stand in reverence, and to stand in respect before God. And therefore, the, the critical question we asked as we started this series is, how do you stand before God. How do you stand this evening before the God that we have been singing to? In awe? In reverence? Respect. And one of the ways that we we suggested for pursuing this fear, for, for nurturing this fear, for maintaining this fear, was to immerse ourselves in God's word. Why? Because God reveals himself to us in and through his word. God reveals himself to us in and through other means, creation, through Jesus, but in and through his 
word is one of the primary ways that God reveals himself to us. And as we read scripture and as we engage with scripture, we discover more about who God is and that affects our standing. It affects our worship. It affects our response. And then linked to that, I threw out a challenge. If you were here last Sunday night, this this was the challenge I laid down. And it's based on something that apparently Billy Graham does from his life and his rhythm. And so the challenge I threw out last Sunday night was to read a chapter of Proverbs a day for the next month. Billy Graham apparently does that. He reads a chapter of Proverbs every single day. And so he reads through the entire book of Proverbs because there's 31 chapters in it 12 times a year. And so if you were here last Sunday night, my question is this, how have you got on? How have you got on with reading a chapter of Proverbs, everyday wisdom for everyday people, practical, God-given instructions on how to live life better. How have you got on? Tonight we come to another closely associated reason behind this book, because if you go back to verse two of the opening chapter of Proverbs, it says this, their purpose, the purpose of these Proverbs is to teach us wisdom, but it doesn't stop there. It says to teach us wisdom and discipline. Now, whenever you hear or see the word discipline, what words or thoughts come to mind? Let's get a bit of (laughs) congregational participation. So whenever you see the word discipline, shout out for me what thoughts or words come to mind. Go. Not all at once. Go. Exercise. Pain. Order. Soldiers. Sorry? Poor behavior, says the principal of friends. Uh, Anything else? Sorry? Catch yourself on. Good one. Like it, Desmond. Like it. I hope that. Training. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, The word discipline kind of creates different reactions, doesn't it? Not, Not always positive. Some of those are maybe negative, particularly things like pain and all of that. And yet, discipline according to Scripture is a life-enhancing necessity. And if if you want to make life work well, discipline's essential. Which is why an entire book of the Bible is devoted to it. These Proverbs, 31 chapters of them, have been given to us to teach us, yes, wisdom, but also to teach us discipline. One of the the most important things you can ever do, I want to suggest, is embrace discipline. Because you see, without it, you'll probably end up with a pile of regret. Without discipline, you will end up with a pile of regret. Let me me read you a few verses from chapter 5. You you don't need to necessarily look these up. But here, here is somebody who's having this experience of not being disciplined and then regretting it. Listen to these words. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. Those are the words of someone who wishes they could turn the clock back and embrace discipline rather than avoid it. 
I've shared this Icelandic proverb before. He who lives without discipline dies without honor. But why is discipline so important? Bit of congregational participation again. Why is discipline so important? Sorry? Brings order? Prepares you? It's all about perseverance. Yeah, because without discipline, you won't get or stay fit. Without discipline, you'll never play that musical instrument. Without discipline, you're you're more likely to end up in debt. Without discipline, you probably won't read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Without discipline, you won't pray on a more consistent basis. Without discipline, you won't practice the holy habits that we've thought about as a church. Without discipline, you will lose contact with friends. Without discipline, you'll miss deadlines. Without discipline, you will dwell on unhelpful images. Without discipline, you'll battle with priorities. The list is endless. Now, there are different levels and and types of discipline, and and all of them feature in Proverbs. So here here are three. There is self-discipline, personal discipline, which is probably the kind that we immediately think of and the the kind we've been feeding back on. But then there's also the discipline that we receive from others, the discipline of others. And then there is discipline from above, the Lord's discipline. And I'm going to briefly look at each, but as we dive into this, let let me start with a definition, and this is maybe primarily in, in terms of personal discipline, but not exclusively, but here's a definition. Discipline is structured training in right living. It's kind of about formation. Some of those words came out. Structured training in right living. In other words, if you want to live right, says Proverbs, if you want to live well, you want to live better, you've got to practice discipline. Bill Hybels puts it like this, when it comes to the work of living, Proverbs tells us that the most indispensable tool is discipline. Are you a disciplined person? Let me give you two components of a disciplined life. The first is delayed gratification. Or to put it in simple terms, no pain, no gain. One of the main characteristics of self-discipline is the ability to kind of forego instant and immediate gratification and pleasure in favor of some greater gain or more satisfying results, even if this requires effort and time. Think about this with me. You see, studying for exams isn't a lot of fun, but it's worth it knowing that you're going to be able to give it your best shot. Training in order to play competitive sport hurts. Running around a track or field on a cold winter's night is tough, but the benefit on match day is obvious. Getting up earlier to pray and read is not easy for the majority of people, but the impact on our relationship with our Father is tangible. Discipline is doing what you don't always want to do 
or feel like doing or might naturally do in order to do what you really want to do, to enjoy certain benefits of life or a better life. That is deferred gratification. It's kind of pay now, play later. Brutus Hamilton writes, it is one of the strange ironies of this strange life that those who work the hardest, who subject themselves to the strictest discipline, who give up certain things in order to achieve a goal are the happiest men. Is that too strong? Probably is. Too general? Maybe. But you get the point. The book of Hebrews picks up on this idea when it says this. Now, this is talking primarily about the Lord's discipline, but it applies to other forms of discipline. Let me read this to you. No discipline, says the writer of Hebrews, seems pleasant at the time. Not true? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Delayed gratification. No pain, no gain. And many of the Proverbs that you will read in those 31 chapters speak to this and suggest this. Training a child, it's not easy. But think of the impact it could have on their lives. Delayed gratification is a component of discipline. Second key component of disciplined life is what some have called advanced decision-making. Let, let me read you a couple of verses from, again, Proverbs chapter five. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. And those appear to be the wise words of a father who is warning his sons about the seductive nature of a woman who lives down the road. And if you've been reading Proverbs, if you have read a chapter of Proverbs a day for the past week, you will have already picked up that in quite a few of the verses and the sayings of the early chapters, there is this recurring theme. And here it is in simple terms. If you want to avoid sexual sin, you need to decide in advance to avoid sexual temptation. So the author writes, don't go near that woman. Don't even walk down her street. Make those decisions now in the cold light of day because you see if you don't, you'll end up making huge mistakes. You'll end up living wrongly. Back to our definition of discipline. Discipline is structured training in right living. See, if you're not disciplined, you're going to make major mistakes in this whole area and in many others. You see, let's be honest, very few of us are strong enough to make morally right choices in the midst of powerful temptation. Because when the heat is on, we are far more likely to get burnt Unless we have decided in advance what we're going to do if we find ourselves in that situation. And to do that requires discipline. Let me give you a few examples. You come in late at night and you're tired. And you just want to crash in front of the TV. You see, it requires discipline to check out the guide in advance to see what's on before you start surfing the channels. 
But the discipline of doing that, of checking the guide to see what's on, might just save you from watching something that will affect your ability to live right in that moment. That's advanced decision making. That requires discipline. Or another simple example, when you discover some juicy piece of gossip about a friend or a colleague in work, unless you make an advanced decision not to talk about them when their name next comes up in conversation, you'll probably end up joining in the chat and compromising your faith. You see, in these issues and in many others, like the young couple wondering about their physical relationship, some huge questions that many young couples wrestle with. See, if you're not disciplined, in order to decide now in the cool light of day what you're going to do or not do in certain situations before you get there, you're going to end up making mistakes. You're going to end up getting burnt. Advance decision-making requires discipline, but it might just save you from wrong living and disastrous choices. So let me move on because that's kind of like personal discipline, self-discipline. But what about the discipline that comes from others? How do we deal with that? Proverbs 12 has something really important to teach us. Let Let me show you the first verse of Proverbs 12. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but get this next bit. He or whoever hates correction is stupid. That's strong. That's scripture. Okay, it's not me. Whoever hates correction is stupid. How do you cope with correction? When someone draws alongside you and points out a fault in your life, how do you take it? Do you accept it? Do you reject it? Do you grab it? Do you resent it? How do you react? There is a very clear biblical principle for doing this. This is kind of part of our side-by-side thing. This is one of the one another's. Proverbs highlights the value of correction from different directions. And if you fast forward into the New Testament, we know and we've looked at this before, that we as Christians are encouraged to do this within the family of God. What is the word that the New Testament uses in this respect? Does anyone know? To do what to each other? Admonish. Yeah. Here's what Paul writes to the Christians at Colossae. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and you admonish one another. And then he adds that little bit at the end. With all wisdom. You see, to admonish means to correct someone. It's to caution specific faults. Now, obviously, a key phrase in what Paul writes is that bit, and it ties in with our general theme, with all wisdom. To admonish anybody, to correct anybody, to point out fault in anybody else's life is a serious thing. We must be wise how we go about it. There must be humility. There must be respect. There must be prayerfulness. 
But when someone comes to us with those kind of attitudes, when someone comes to us in humility, and so, when someone comes to us with respect, and they have prayed, and they do correct us, they do admonish us, they do challenge us, how do we react? Do we take it? Job is a, is a brilliant example of someone who was willing to take on board discipline. Let me read you what he said. Teach me, said Job, and I will be quiet. Show me where I have gone wrong. Do we have people in our lives that we can actually say that to? Show me where I've gone wrong. Walk with me. Guide me, help me, correct me if necessary. Point out those things in my life that are unhelpful. How do we respond to discipline from others and, and off others? And it's not really about confronting a person. It's about confronting the issue that needs correcting. And I want to suggest that to allow others to do that, to give someone permission to speak into our lives, to invite discipline from others is in itself a discipline. It really is. It is a discipline to invite correction. Have you got those kind of people in your life? Constructive correction can do one of two things. It can devastate you, it can develop you. It will depend on how you choose to receive it. Let, let, let me end this section with another proverb. Sounds a bit like the Icelandic one I shared earlier, or rather the Icelandic one I shared earlier sounds a bit like this biblical one. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction is honored. Embrace self-discipline. Embrace discipline from others. That's what Proverbs teaches us. And then thirdly and, and, and finally, there is the Lord's discipline. Look at these words from a familiar proverb. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And many of us will know that in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews quotes these exact words when he wants to talk about God's discipline in our lives. You see, the reality is we never outgrow the need for discipline. We never outgrow the need for right living and structured training in right living. Why? Because we all keep making mistakes. We all keep getting it wrong no matter what age we are, no matter how long we have been on this journey. And so the question is, back to this proverb, do we accept or reject the Lord's discipline? But then the question is, well, what, what does that look like? How does the Lord discipline us? How does he speak into our lives words of correction? How does it come to us? How do we, how do we get it? A couple of ways. God can and does use those around us to speak into our lives, as I've just said, but it often is God that is using them to draw alongside us 
and to correct us and to discipline us. But secondly, maybe mainly, it's via his word again. You see, as we read scripture, as we read it on our own with an open heart, open heart and an open mind, God can speak words of challenge and correction into our lives. Plus, as we listen to God's word being taught in an environment like this, we can at times experience the Lord speaking words of correction into our lives. We know that there are areas here where we're not living right. And we need to be open to what God wants to say to us through his word. But the comforting and the critical aspect in all of this is that God disciplines the one what? the ones he loves. There's kindness in his majesty. He offers and he does this for our good and for our growth. But as I finish, Proverbs tells us that its purpose, the purpose of these 31 chapters, the purpose of them, and and, and this is why it's so important we know them. It's why Billy Graham's advice is incredible. It's why as I've begun to kind of re-engage with this book, I've, I've been reminded of just how important this Bible book is. And yet the reality is so few of us, and I'm talking personally, know much of it. I can kind of quote you probably three verses of Proverbs. One is, you know, the classic, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will, do, you know that one? And the other one is my life verse. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart because it affects everything else you do. But of these 31 chapters, every single proverb within them has been given to me to teach me discipline. The question I've been asking myself is, why am I not more familiar with this? Why am I not more familiar with this? And if I'm going to live a disciplined life, if I'm going to discover what it means to embark on structured training in right living in a way that honors the God I serve and worship, then this book is vital. And if we want to grow as Christian disciples, and after all, disciple is simply a branch form of the root word discipline. And so discipline and being a disciple go hand in hand But if we want to grow as Christian disciples, we must embrace discipline. And so I want to encourage us to do that. Embrace self-discipline through deferred gratification. Embrace it through advanced decision-making. But let's also embrace, seek the discipline of others and the discipline of our Father. And if you're here tonight and you're aware of living or you're in danger of living an undisciplined life in certain areas of your life, or if you simply recognize the need to live a more disciplined life, then let me encourage you to take some time and space tonight to pray and to reflect. And can I again urge you, keep reading Proverbs. Because as George Eliot once said, it's never too late 
to become the person you might have been. It's never too late to become the person you might have been.